You guys can have a seat. We chose that final song very intentionally. That final verse, what a powerful name. That is something we need to remember because we saw a lot of power unleashed last week. Destructive power that claimed many lives and left tens of thousands of people homeless. And yet we come together this morning to remember that our God is more powerful than any hurricane. But his power in this age of history is displayed in a most unusual way. In the past, God rained fire from heaven and he raised the dead and he sent angel armies. Today, where is his power being displayed? Through you. That's the mystery of it. God has decided to use weak and broken people like us to display his power in this world. And you display his power when you sacrifice. When you go out and love people sacrificially like Jesus did. When you give them costly things free of charge. When you care for them when no one else will. That is the supernatural love and power of God at work in the earth today. And so I have been so incredibly blessed to see, particularly on social media, how many of you, how many churches, how many Aggies have stepped up this week. To sacrifice for those in need to the south. It's been thrilling. It's really fun when you're like the pastor of a church and you ask yourself, my goodness, what are we going to do about this hurricane? And then you hop on Facebook and realize you are already doing it all. So it's been really cool. I've heard so many stories of, hey, I have this need. I have this friend in Houston. They need this. And you go and get a truck and you fill it and off you go. And we had people showing up in our parking lot with with boats headed to Houston. And we had others grabbing sleds. Sledgehammers heading down there yesterday to tear out walls. What an incre- incredibly beautiful picture of the powerful love of Jesus Christ at work. But we know that this disaster is not going to be a week and it's done kind of thing. This recovery is going to take months. It could even take years. And so God is calling us to continue to sacrifice, to care for those in need. Now, many of you are already doing that. So all I say to you is excel still more. Continue to to show the power of God at work in the world. For those of you who are wondering, well, you know, how do I get involved? There are just so many opportunities. I don't know what to do. We've created a couple resources for you online. So two websites. You can go to our website grace-bible.org and there's a big banner that picture on the on the home screen click that and you will find out how to give financially directly to people who are in need you'll also find out some resources through our church the second website bcshelps.org i'm actually really excited about that god has been working in the last couple years to begin to pull together some of us pastors in town from very different churches it's been thrilling and also a little weird to share lunch with guys who are pastors of such incredibly different churches. I mean, I've been hanging out with like charismatic dudes and it's like, there's, there's a whole lot of things we have that are not in common and yet we share Jesus. And so we share what matters most. And so God has been moving and the result is this website, bcshelps.org is a collecting place where all the churches in town are putting their list of ways you can help with hurricane relief. And so the really cool thing is you don't have to serve with Grace Bible Church. We're all one family God. So get on that website. You'll see what Central Baptist or Antioch or New Life, what these different churches are doing in town. Find a project or an opportunity that lines up with your skills, your resources, your availability, and go there. Do that. Okay, so let's continue to give and to sacrifice to show the world the supernatural power of God at work in our lives. 
Well, this morning we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, the second half of it. So you can turn there now, Ephesians chapter 1. It is fun to be back in this room with so many students. When you guys are gone, it's really quiet. We like it when you're back. You bring so much energy. It was funny to watch this week as you went back to school one day late. I thought to myself, wow, I'm really glad they have a short week because they need it. Because this is syllabus week. And I've been out of A&M now for 19 years, graduated 19 years ago. And um, I, yeah, I, I am, uh, I'm going to admit to you that I still have nightmares about getting syllabi. It still haunts my dreams, that, that moment when you walk into class and you're given a syllabus and you realize this is the fifth syllabus I've gotten today and every one of my professors assume this is my only class. And so I, you, I remember that feeling of your heart beginning to race as you read the requirements and you're sweating all over yourself and you just feel overwhelmed. And, and so I know how shocking it is to receive those syllabi, but here's the funny thing that I've realized since my time at a and I've come to the conviction that actually a syllabus is a gift. It's a gift. I know it doesn't feel that way, but it it is a gift because it gives you clarity. It tells you exactly what is expected of you. Let me tell you, students, when you get out and you're an adult and you're doing real life, you rarely are told what's expected of you. And so it is a blessing to have clarity. Can you imagine walking into the room, into class one day, and your professor says, turn in your research paper, and you didn't do it because you didn't know. A syllabus is a gift because it gives you clarity. It tells you exactly what's expected of you, what you need to learn, what you need to be able to do. It's a gift, so it's not surprising that God has given us a syllabus for the Christian life. He's laid out for us exactly what's expected of us, what we need to learn, what we need to know, what we need to do as we follow Christ through this life. Now, God has actually given us many syllabi throughout the pages of Scripture. We're just going to look at one this morning. It's the second half of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. We're going to see what God lays out for us. In this syllabus, God used the Apostle Paul to list out God's, what you might call his learning objectives for your life. As a follower of Jesus, what does God want you to learn in the course of this life? Paul tells us in this passage. So I'm excited to share this with you this morning. I'm going to read you, starting in verse 15, I'm actually going to read you out of the New English translation, the Net Bible. It does a really good job of of helping us understand these verses. So let me read you. I'm going to read about half of it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, In the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. When I remember you in my prayers, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. Now in this passage, Paul begins with that important phrase, for this reason, whenever you see for this reason in a passage you're reading. It points you to what came before. So what came before this? Well, some of you weren't here last week, so I'll just catch you up. Last week, we studied what is probably the longest run-on sentence you'll find anywhere in the Bible, 
all the way from verse 3 to verse 14, one sentence, 202 words in Greek. Paul gets caught up in himself, listing out for you all of the spiritual blessings you have received from the Father and the Son and the Spirit through your faith in Jesus. So he's speaking to believers, all these blessings you've received. Because you've received all these blessings for this reason, here is my prayer for you. And then Paul gives the prayer. Well, the point of all that is to say this syllabus that God has given us for our life in this passage, it assumes that we are already believers. The syllabus is, is for believers. That's why Paul says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Verse 18, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. You've already been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. So this syllabus for your life, it assumes you are already a believer. And I'm guessing that there's probably some of you here this morning for whom that's not true. Maybe a neighbor invited you to church this morning or a classmate or someone in your family. And so you've come to check out this church thing, this, this Christianity thing. You're wondering what it's all about. So I'm going to try to explain this Christianity thing to you as simply as I can. And, and I'm going to use one of the verses we studied last week. It's a glorious verse. Look back at verse 7 of chapter 1. This is a good summary of the Christian life. You, you can just kind of bracket this verse. In him, that is Jesus, in Jesus Christ, God's son, we have redemption. Redemption means being freed of something you were enslaved to. Here's the consequences of sin, your evil, all, all of that. In Jesus, we have redemption. We have freedom through his blood dying on the cross. The, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This verse is something that we Christians call the gospel. That's a fancy word that means good news. This is, is good news to us because it proclaims that Jesus died so that we could have forgiveness in his grace. And so let me take all that theology and boil it down for you as simply as I can. There are a lot of religions in this world from which you may choose. All of those religions, other than Jesus Christ, are very similar. They teach you the same thing. All religions other than Christianity tell you what you must do to be made right with God. And so all other religions give you a list. Maybe it's the five pillars or the noble path or the sacred path or, or the law or, or something that you need to do, something you must practice to earn your way to, to God or the gods or the universe. It's all about you, what you do. Christianity is the opposite. Christianity is what God has done to make you right with him. Christianity is this unique religion out of all religions. It's not about what we do. It's about what God did for us. See, Christianity proclaims that God became one of us. He took on human flesh, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, 2,000 years ago, he really lived on this earth and he lived a perfect life unlike us. He was always loving all the time, always holy, always perfect, always truthful. He was perfect for us, and then he died for us on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus, the perfect son of God, died as a sacrifice for our sins. Why? To pay the price of our sin. To pay for all of the evil things any human has ever done. He died for us, but death couldn't hold him down. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, earning eternal life and forgiveness. And now he offers that to you for free. And that's the meaning of the word grace. 
Riches of his grace. Grace means getting something good you don't deserve for free. So Christianity offers to you forgiveness, eternal life, a relationship with God, heaven, eternity for free. But God doesn't force that gift on you. You got to say yes. You got to say, God, yes, I, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe that your son, Jesus, died for my sins and rose from the dead so that I could have. Eternal life is a free gift. Yes, I want that, God. You have to say yes. That's what Christianity is about. The moment that you say yes to that gift of eternal life, you're no longer on the outside of Christianity trying to figure out this Christian thing. No, you're inside. That is the Christian thing. Saying yes to God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what makes us Christians. Not that we keep a list. So for all of us who have said yes, to this gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The moment we said yes, God's Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. We studied that last week, verse 13, in him that is Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that good news about about Jesus, having also believed you were sealed in Jesus with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit came into your life. He, He lives inside of you now. And that has a lot of results in your life. A lot of things that are different about you because the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. The the difference we're going to talk about this morning is that now that the Spirit lives in you, you can know God. You, You can understand God and his truth and his plan and his ways and his character. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to grow in God. And Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says in chapter 2, Now we, believers, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. The natural person, that that was you before you trusted in Jesus. You, You couldn't understand the Bible. You couldn't understand God and and his ways. It was all foolishness and silliness to you. But then the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, and now God unlocks the mysteries of who he is. He begins to grow you in in your knowledge of the truth, and, and that ultimately is what God's syllabus is for your life. As a follower of Jesus, he wants to teach you more about himself, more about his character, more about his ways, For the rest of your life. That's his learning objectives for your life. Get to know him better. Grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge as long as you live. That's that's not just a message of Ephesians. You see it all the way throughout the Bible. Paul says in Colossians 1.9. We've not ceased to pray for you, for believers. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what God wants for you. That you would continually throughout life. Grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding of the truth. And it doesn't matter how much you already know. God wants to take you even deeper in your understanding of who he is. That's true even for those of us who've gone to seminary. I I went to seminary for, for four years, and I would have to say I really only just scratched the surface of the riches of God and his word. 
So I, I'm not that much further than you are. There's so much further to go. I like to think about our, our growth and knowledge of, of God and his ways as basically a mountain you never get to the top of. You just get to keep exploring it. You get to keep growing. And the more you grow, the, the better the view. The higher you go up that mountain, the more you see. The more joy you have, the more happiness you have, the more peace you have, the more you will grow. And so God has more to teach you. I know that no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord because of what Paul says in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. You will never exhaust the truth of God. Not in this life, not in the next life. I don't know if that's mind-blowing to you. You're not going to get to heaven and suddenly, boom, you understand everything. No. God is infinite. Therefore, it will take you infinite time to learn everything there is about God. You never get to the end of infinity. So we are forever going to be learning more about how awesome and wonderful and powerful and beautiful is the name of Jesus Christ. So God's goal for you in this life is that you keep learning, you keep growing. He is our ultimate teacher and his class never ends. And so he wants to take us deeper into his truths, into into his beauty, his power, his wonder. So that's his goal for you. Now let's get specific. What exactly does God want to teach you throughout this life? There's four things that Paul listed here. So four learning objectives for followers of Jesus. What does he want to grow you in in this life? Number one, he wants you to learn more about him. That's what Paul told us right at the end of verse 17, that they may grow in in your spiritual wisdom and revelation, in your growing knowledge of him. That is God. God wants you to get to know the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, better and better and better throughout this life. And why is that? Well, the easiest answer to that question is to turn to very famous words of a guy named A.W. Tozer, who I, I think nailed it on the head. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I heard that quote probably three decades ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Because it's a bold thing to say, and A.W. Tozer, he's not God, so is he right or not? And you've got to think about that when you read something in a book. Is that true? And so I, I spent time thinking about whether or not my life and other people's lives testify that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I've come to the conviction that he is right on. That is exactly right. Everything about how I live how I see the world, how I see myself, how I act, how I speak, how I think. It is ultimately built on my perception of God. What I think about God, when the word God comes into my mind, what is the picture that I get? What do I think about his existence, his power, his love, his holiness, his ways? What comes into our minds when we think about God, that shapes everything. And that's not just true for Christians. That's true for every person on the planet, even the unbeliever, even the atheist. This is a remarkable thing to think about. The atheist way of life and his way of seeing his world is primarily built upon his perception of God. Now, what is his perception of God? That there isn't one. But that foundational belief that there is no creator, that there is no higher power to whom I am responsible to live, that fundamental belief shapes everything he says and does. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you because it will shape everything else in your life. Therefore, the most important thing for you to study is God. 
You, you need to get to know God better. That should be the focus of what you're learning throughout the course of your life. Always we are growing to know God better. And when I think about that task, that even though I've been to seminary, I need to keep getting to know God better. The person who comes to my mind is a woman here at Southwood named Jane Battle. Many of you have met Jane. She uh, is a wonderful woman of God, been walking with the Lord for decades. She's been teaching our first grade kids in Sunday school, I think, since we opened. She's blessed so many of our kids. And if you hang out with Jane, you find out she knows a lot about God. She actually has memorized, like, most of the Bible. And she knows all of this theology. And she's so deep in her understanding of spiritual truths. Yet, what's remarkable to me is that Jane signs up for women's Bible study every semester. And it's not just so she can hang out, although she does love to spend time with you, but it's so she can keep growing and keep learning because she understands most important thing about life is what you know about your creator. That will shape you more than anything else. So where to start? Well, gosh, the whole Bible is about him. So you've got a lot of source material here. I'll just give you a few things from this passage. If you look down, the part of the passage we haven't read yet, look at verse 20 through verse 23. It's all about God. Teaching you about your God. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet, and he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, you could write a whole theology textbook about those verses. That's incredibly rich. I'm just going to point out three quick things that come to mind about your God as you read those verses. First of all, he's a source of life because he raised Jesus from the dead. I love that, that, that when Jesus met death, death lost. You, you can't keep the Son of God buried. He won't stay in the ground. Why? Because he's life. He is the author and creator of life. So that's the first thing. The second thing you see He's sovereign. God is unchallenged. He rules. There is nothing in heaven that can, can rival his rule. I love that line we were singing this morning. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. So you, you realize there's no competition going on for the throne of the universe. But God's been on it, and he always will be on it. So I woke up this morning, and I saw in the news that North Korea detonated a hydrogen bomb. Well, that's not great news. But that doesn't worry me at all. You know why? Because God was on the throne yesterday and he's still on the throne today. And no little dictator is going to ever change that. And so ultimately, God reigns. So we don't need to be afraid when we see things going crazy in this world. Yeah, we should know about that. We should do something about that. But it's nothing to worry about. Because God is unrivaled. He is actually, I don't think this is a word, but I'll just make it up. He is unrivalable. You cannot rival God. There's no one who could compete with God for the throne because he's the creator of all. So God is sovereign. Second thing to know. Third thing to know about your God, he's generous. That's where the passage ends. God has given his son to be author and source and leader of the whole church. God gives freely. He gives the church to us. He gives his hope, his joy, his peace to us freely. We have a gracious God. The better you know your God, the more you know these things about your God, the more you will experience his joy and peace and security in this life. So keep learning about God. Join a small group Bible study like Jane. Be like her. Keep learning about God. If you'd like a book to come alongside you, I've mentioned it this summer, A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. doesn't get much better than that. So add that to your shelf. Second thing God wants to teach you about himself, 
He wants you to understand the hope you have because he called you. It's our hope in his calling. That's the second learning objective. Now, this is a, an unfortunate time when the English word doesn't line up well with the Greek word. Because you hear the word in English, hope, and you think of hope as a wishful, uh, a wishful thing. Like, I, I, I wish I would win the lottery. Well, I have no guarantee of that. Actually, probability-wise, I'm almost certainly not going to win the lottery. But that's how we use the English word hope. It's about something we wish would come true. That's not at all biblical hope. When you see the word hope in the Bible, it always means something you know will come true. Biblical hope is always an assurance of something in the future you look forward to. There is no uncertainty with hope in the Bible. It is absolutely certain. It's guaranteed. Okay, so if hope, this hope you have through God calling you into his family, if it's something that's guaranteed in your future, what is it? What promises has God made to you about good things he's going to do in your future? Well, that's a whole lot of sermons. That's a lot of stuff. God has said about what he's going to do in your life in the future. He's going to save you. He's going to resurrect you. He's going to purify you. He's going to reunite you with him. He's going to fill you with purpose and meaning and significance. He's going to reward you. He's going to give you a new heavens and a new earth. Wipe away every tear. It's going to be wonderful. There's all kinds of things that God has promised you. And the more you study those things, the more joyful you will be in life. Because you're not wishing for those things to happen. They are going to happen. So when I have a really bad day, there are certain passages I go to in the Bible. And pastors have bad days all the time. So we, we open the Bible with pastors and, and there are certain passages that we go to. And it's not about preparing a sermon or teaching or counseling. It's, it's about us. So, so what are the passages that I go to when I'm having a bad day? Well, one of them at the top of my list is at the end of the book of Revelation. When I need hope, I look at Revelation 21. Because this isn't what I'm wishing for. This is what I know is going to happen. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's not something I wish for. That's something I know. It's going to happen in the future. God is going to make all things new. And when he does, there will never be pain again. No suffering. No sadness. Only joy. Only peace for eternity. That's what's coming in the future. And, and the knowledge that that is coming gives me strength to endure when life is hard. That's how hope works. Biblical hope. Not something you wish for, but something you know is going to happen. It gives you strength to endure. I remember when I was 12, I went hiking with my dad up in Colorado. And I was a scrawny little kid. I mean, most unathletic kid you've ever seen. And so putting on this big backpack and hiking up the mountain was torturous. There were multiple times when I just laid down in the middle of the trail. I was so upset to be there. So it was really hard going up, but it was really easy coming down. And it's not because the trail was a lot easier. If you've hiked in Colorado, you know it's not like it's all up and then all down. It's back and forth. Trail was hard going down, but it was quick and easy because I had hope in a hamburger. 
I, I had been promised by my dad that when we got down, we would stop at this amazing hamburger joint and have a hot, juicy burger, a cheeseburger, actually, which I never got. And so I was so excited about having that cheeseburger that it kept me moving. I couldn't go fast enough. That hope helped me endure. And so you need to learn about the hope you have. As a follower of Christ, what's coming next for you? The good news of what God has in store for you will help you endure when life gets hard. So in particular, definitely Revelation 21. I'd actually encourage you to read the whole book of Revelation. It is weird. It is hard. But it is awesome. So read Revelation. Isaiah is a really great book, too, about the future. If you're looking for some, for some theology books to read, a guy named Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. Really easy title, just Heaven. Uh, it answers a lot of common questions people have about what heaven will be like. Great resource. And then if you just want something beautiful to read, my favorite thing, which I've read countless times, is C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle. Last three chapters, he talks about heaven, and it's not a theological treatise. Don't like press it for the details. That's not what it's about. It's just a picture. Just read the picture and reflect on how good God is and what a wonderful adventure heaven will be. So I read that to my son for the first time this week, and I still I got goosebumps all the way up the scalp just reading that about what great things God has in store for us. So the more you learn about the hope you have in the future, the more strength you'll have to endure when life gets hard. Third learning objective God has for you in this life. He wants you to know your value. Now that comes from a a pretty challenging line that we read in verse 18. Paul said, "What is that they may know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? It's actually a really hard phrase to unpack. Our best guess is that what Paul is saying is that we are God's own inheritance. The point here is to say that we might know what it means to be the inheritance of the creator God. That we, the saints, that believers, that we would understand how much value that imparts upon our lives to know that the creator of the universe, when he could have chose anything, chose us to be his inheritance, his own inheritance for all eternity. You you see that idea of the value we have in the sight of God, not just from this Line, but from many places in Scripture. One of my favorite is First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Peter says to us, to the church, to believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I love how the adjectives are compiling there; how they're just building up. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God chose you to be his inheritance. You are that valuable in the sight of God. Now, here's a little economics lesson for you. When you think about what is the value of something, like let's say I've got a car and I'm going to sell it on Craigslist. I've done that a lot of times. And the question always comes up, how valuable is my car? What should I sell it for? What's the answer? Value is determined by what someone will pay. That's the value. Whatever I can get someone to pay, the value is determined by what someone else will give up to possess that thing. That's how economics works. So, how valuable are you? Well, what did it cost God to possess you? What was the price? What did he have to give up to get you to be his inheritance forever? Well, you know the answer. He gave up Jesus. 
Jesus, the Son of God, had to come suffer and die so God could possess you. Now let's think about the value of that. Well, the creator is always more valuable than his creation. Jesus created the universe. Jesus was given up for you. Your value is equivalent to Jesus. So how valuable are you? You, if you are a follower of God, are the most valuable thing in the universe. There has never been a greater price paid for anything. That's how much God values you. He was willing to give up his son to possess you as an eternal inheritance. Now, when we think about that, we should recognize how radically different that is and how our world values people. So in our world, value is assigned by attribute or performance. So are you athletic? Are you rich? Are you beautiful? Are you funny? Are you famous? Well, we'll give you value. You matter. But if you don't have that, then you don't matter. Well, no. God says absolutely not. A person's value was determined in eternity past when God chose them as his own inheritance for all eternity and decided that he would give the life of his son to possess them. So your value is infinite. It was assigned by God in eternity past. Now let's bring that home. What does that actually look like in your day-to-day life? Well, I'll be honest with you guys. There, there are occasional days when I don't like myself very much. I'm assuming some of you have probably experienced that. There are days when you're down on yourself. You, just, you know yourself better than other people do. So you see all the ugly stuff. You, you see all the failures, all, all the, the deficiencies in your life. So maybe you think I'm a great guy. I don't know. Um, I know myself better than that. So I know I'm selfish and I'm prideful and I'm the most cynical person you probably ever met. And I've been depressed for years and I have all these doubts and I am so incredibly introverted that sometimes just being around myself is too many people in the room. (laughs) So there are these occasional days when I don't like myself very much. And on those days when I don't like myself, I need to remember there are no days when God doesn't like me. How do I know that? Because from before time began, God chose to die so he could be with me every day of all eternity. That's how much you matter to God. He chose to be with you for all eternity, and he gave the greatest price that's ever been paid to possess you. You have value in the sight of God. And again, ladies and gentlemen, as you you learn these truths, as you go deeper, as you learn more about the value you have in the sight of God, it will make all of your life better. Because then when the world says you are not valuable, you know that's a lie. You are able to stand because you know you matter in the sight of God more than anything else in the universe. You are valuable because God chose you as as his eternal possession. So that truth radically changes how we see ourselves. It should also radically change how we see other people. This is one of the answers we give to the scourge of racism, to all the debates that have been going on in our nation. One of the things that as a people of God we recognize is that a person or group's value is not in any way determined by race or nationality or education level or economic level. No, it is defined by God. And for followers of God, regardless of race or nationality or economic position or whatever else, they are infinitely valuable because God the Son died for them. So that should shape how we see, and particularly how we gather together with other churches and other brothers and sisters in Christ. We recognize, and it doesn't 
doesn't matter what race, what nationality, what education level, what wealth level. doesn't matter how holy your life appears on the outside. What matters is that God chose you in eternity past. That locked your value in and the world can't change it. Okay, so this understanding of our value, it changes how we see ourselves and how we see other people. Fourth thing that God wants to teach us. He wants us to come to understand his power. His power that is at work in us and for us. That's what Paul talks about in verse 19. Look again at that. Uh, what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength? All these adjectives piled on one another to, to show you that God has incredible, infinite, supernatural power at work in your life. That power is in you. It is the same supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead, that conquered sin and Satan and death. That power is in you. But let's ask the cynics question. Okay, when do I see it? Because I can't raise people from the dead. And I can't fly and I can't do all the fun things I'd like to do. So where is God's power at work in my life? Well, it's, it's in an amazing but hidden way. And you discover it in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, one of my favorite verses, verse 13. Really, a verse that is packed full of so much life and theology, you can't believe. One little phrase. For it is God who works in you, this is for all believers, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It would be really easy to read that and move on and not recognize there's two separate things there. God's power in you is being displayed by enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me unpack that. The word to work, it means to do what is right. In other words, God's power at work in you today is enabling you to say no to temptation, no to the tempter, no to yourself, yes to obedience, yes to others, yes to suffering. God's power at work through the Holy Spirit in you enables you to say no to sin and yes to obedience. And that's a radical thing. That's not within our nature to be able to do that which is good and right. God's Spirit is in you enabling you to say no to temptation. Okay, so when we think about temptation coming into our lives, we feel tempted by something. And yet Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. He's not going to allow you to be tempted above what you are able. What is the point of that? What that means is that sin is never unavoidable for the Christian. At all times, you can say no to temptation. It is not your master. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And he is more powerful than any temptation you will ever face. So at any given moment, in any given situation, you always, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the power that you need to choose obedience rather than temptation. You have the power to say no to the tempter. That's Satan. That's amazing. Satan is so much more powerful than us, and yet we can say no to him, not because we are strong, but because Christ in us is strong. It's actually been an ongoing conversation I've been having with my kids. They're seven, and they're starting to pay attention in Sunday school, mostly because of, of Miss Jane. Um, and so they've been hearing these stories, and invariably, it's, it's nighttime, they're in bed, I'm about to flip the lights off, and they ask me about Satan. And what am I going to do in that moment? Well, i got, I got to do something. So, you know, they're feeling a little bit of fear about Satan or demons or some story they heard. How am I going to answer that? Well, with my kids, my goal is to kind of help them balance two things. I want them to walk a line and not fall on, on either side. First of all, I don't want them to disrespect satanic powers. Satan, demons, not something to be trifled with. Much, much more powerful than any of us. Yet at the same time, 
I don't want them to be afraid. Why? Because they got God in them. Satan's nothing compared to him. And so I, I want to help educate them and help them see. No, he, Satan is more powerful than you can possibly imagine, and yet he's nothing compared to the power in you. So you need never be afraid. So because God is in you, his infinite power is at work, and you can say no to temptation, no to the tempter, and probably hardest of all, no to yourself. You can deny yourself and sacrifice for the good of others. You can say yes to obedience, yes to others, yes even to suffering. You can suffer faithfully just as Jesus did because the same power is at work in you. So this is amazing and marvelous. God's supernatural power is at work in you as a follower of Jesus today to enable you to say no to sin and yes to obedience. But that's not all. Because remember, there are two words. That's the two work. There was also two will. And when Paul says that God is at work in you to will, that word will in Greek, it means to desire. What that means is that God's Holy Spirit is at work right now in your brain, changing the neural pathways of your brain. I really believe that. The Holy Spirit works within the biology that God's created. And as you obey God today, the Holy Spirit works on your your brain to help you to desire obedience more tomorrow. And that's the beautiful thing we call sanctification. Growing in holiness. God wants to change you and he will in this life. As you walk with him, as you get to know him better, as you say yes to obedience today, the Holy Spirit works on the neural pathways in your brain to rewire you so that you want to do what's right tomorrow. God is at work in you in mysterious, invisible, but supernaturally powerful ways to shape you to be more like his son. So the power of God is on earth today. Even though we don't see it in the same ways, it is every bit as much going on now as it was in the past. So God's goal for your life is to continue to grow you in your knowledge and understanding of God, of the hope you have in his calling, the value you have in his, as his inheritance, and his power at work in and for you. But what do we need to be doing Let's get specific. Let's get practical. We know that, that in all of these areas, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who grows us. Only the Spirit can open our eyes to truth. But what do you need to do today to grow to know God and your hope and your value and your power more? Well, the Bible actually gives us a lot of things. We're not going to go through them all today. There's lots of steps. Bible studies. one. You should join a small group. You should study the Bible. Uh, hopefully, the preached word is helping you to grow. There's lots of things that the Bible lists. I just want to focus on the one that is in this passage. In this passage, what does Paul do to help people grow to know God more? He prays. He prays. And, and so Paul asks, God, please, open their eyes so that they might know you better, know the hope they have, the value they have, the power they have. He asks God for that. And so that's what we should be doing. We should be asking God for that. And it's fun to ask God for this because this is one of the few things you know God's answer is yes. Let me explain that. A lot of times we pray for things like that a sick person would get better or that we would get an A on a test or that God would provide money when we have a big bill due. And we don't know whether God's going to say yes or no to that because we don't know his will in that matter. Maybe he wants to heal that person. Maybe he has a different plan. And so we pray hoping, but we don't really know. This one you know. God has said, yes, I want this for all of you all the time. So when you pray for yourself or for a roommate or, or your children to go, grow to know God better, you know God's answer is yes. Not sure how he's going to do it, but you know he's going to do it. 
So this should be something we're praying for all the time. More often than you're praying for finances or health or good grades, pray that God would grow you to know him better, to know your hope, your value, and your power. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for your kids. Parents, this is probably the most significant thing we can be praying for them. More often than they'll do well at school and make friends, as important as those things are, let's be praying that God would forever be growing them to know him better. So let's be praying that for each other. And that's what I want to actually end with this morning. We're just going to do it. Um, I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then I'm going to give us a couple minutes of silence. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to actually ask God to grow you in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Ask God to help you to know him better, to know the hope you have in him better, the value you have in him better, the power you have in him better. Pray that for yourself. And then if you're a parent, next I'd like to ask you to pray that for your children. Pray that no matter how old they are, God would always be growing those kids to know him better. If you're not yet a parent, pray that for a classmate or roommate or your family, your friends. Pray that other people around you would be getting to know God better because we know everything else in life flows out of that. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God of light who reveals truth to us. You've not left us in the dark. You have instead revealed who you are to us. You have revealed hope to us and value to us and power to us. You have spoken so that we can know you and walk with you. And we praise you for that because that wasn't something you had to do. It was completely within your rights to leave us in the dark, and instead, in grace, you gave us light. We thank you for that light, and we pray that you would open our eyes and help us to put in the work and the effort to learn more about your word and about you and about all of your plans and ways. Lord, we lift up that and lay it at your feet for ourselves, for our kids, and for our friends. Heavenly Father, we pray for ourselves, for this family in this room. We pray that you would help us to grow, to know you better. We pray that you would help each of us each and every week to be getting to know you better, growing closer to you, and through that to to better appreciate you and love you more and just be enthralled in you more. I, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would grow to know our hope better and, and to know that it's not wishful thinking, that it is guaranteed that we have a, a future to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth when everything is right. I pray that we would get to know that hope better and that it would motivate us. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would better understand our value in your sight, that when the world lies to us, And tells us that value is found in attributes or performance that we would speak back and say, no, our value was established in eternity past and we are the most valuable thing in this universe because the Son of God gave his life for us. And finally, I pray, God, help us better understand, know and believe the power of Jesus Christ that is at work in our lives today. May we use that power to say no to sin and yes to you. We pray all this in the name and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week as we'll jump into chapter 2.